I don't think I ever could have predicted how far we've come, like how the brand has changed during that time, how the media industry has changed, and certainly all of the movements that you talk about and behaviors of women and, and the experience of being a woman has changed so much as well. Mm. So absolutely could never have predicted some of those things. I mean, I've talked about this a bit, but when we launched Stylist, we did talk about being a feminist title and people were very, very anxious about that. You know, really, the word really? feminism still wasn't fully re-embraced culturally. It was a couple of years before Catelyn Moran had her first big book out. There were a lot of things that still hadn't happened. And for me, it was just the standard. If I was gonna create a magazine for women, then these would be women who would expect equality mm. as a norm. But actually, when I'm saying it out loud and talking to the industry and talking to the market, people physically flinched at the word feminism, which it just yeah. seems remarkable to look back at such recent history and realize that. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Created in 2009 in the aftermath of a recession, Stylist magazine intended to buck the trend and set out to treat women and their prospective readership intelligently. Over a decade later, when many other publications have come and gone, Stylist remains at the top of its game, and so does editor-in-chief Lisa Smazarski. From her first job as a junior writer at Bliss magazine via roles at EMAP and Bauer, Lisa has ably navigated the publication through culture shifts, social activism, global movements, and not to mention a worldwide pandemic. From an obsession with press gang to having Hillary and Chelsea Clinton guest edit her magazine, in Lisa's own words, sometimes you've just got to go for it. I was born in Nottingham, uh, where I lived till I was about nine. And then I moved to North London, where I spent probably the more formative years. I sound more like a Londoner than I do a Midlander, that's for sure. I went to a school called Green Barnet County School, a very average comprehensive in North London. And it was there that I made a decision that I wanted to go into journalism. I sort of made a lot of very single-minded decisions about what A-levels I was going to take. And I left all of my friends to go somewhere else so I could get the right A-levels to go to the London College of Printing, which had a brilliant journalism course and I just read about all these amazing journalists that come out there. I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point. I just knew I wanted to do some form of journalism. I can't even trace back why or what happened. I, I keep thinking it was because I loved a show called Press Gang, which was like a bunch of kids making a yeah. school newspaper. Do you remember it? I do, I do, I do. <laughs> it was like, I, I want to be Julius Awilhala and uh, <laughs> I want to edit. I, I still think it's Press Gang. One of my team members bought um, a copy of the DVD for my birthday because I've mentioned it so many times. I still think sometimes it's like Press Gang. 
making a magazine. What were you like as a student? Were you very dedicated, diligent, hardworking, or the antithesis of that? No, I was. I was very dedicated. I was conscientious. I was quite academic. I wouldn't say I was the brightest kid in the class. That certainly wasn't the case. I had to work to get my qualifications. My eye was a bit, you know, I was a bit of a normal teenager. I was, you know, didn't make life easy for my mum, let's say. <laughs> that. But I, I was dedicated at school, so I guess on that side, she was probably quite grateful. I, I didn't... I didn't feel like I particularly stood out. I was, you know, I wanted to do something different to what the school offered and what a lot of my friends were doing. So I guess that was the point at which my uh, single-mindedness started to come out and my, you know, just sheer ambition actually to work in journalism and in that sector. But in so many ways, I was just, you know, your average kid watching neighbours, shopping, talking on the phone a lot to my friends, (laughs) getting into a little bit of trouble. Whenever you talk to people who've had or have careers in media or journalism or communications or those kinds of areas, they always talk about working a lot for free or, you know, work experience Mm -hmm. and also the kind of nepotism element. Did you find that or how, what was it like for you? It's interesting, actually. I've had, um, I've had this conversation with my mum a few years ago, actually, and she said that as I started to move into this world of journalism, I became increasingly surprised by how tight-knit it was and how most people I'd come across were private school educated, I'd come from a, a comprehensive, and that there was a big network of people. And I didn't know anyone at all. I didn't know anyone anywhere. And I, I genuinely, I feel like they gifted me a belief that I could go for anything and I could do anything but I became increasingly surprised the more I got into the industry about how closed it was actually so I you know I I look back and realize I'm gonna say luck I mean I did work hard but I do feel like I was incredibly lucky to get the break that I got because when I finished my degree I is the day I handed my dissertation in was the day I got my first job Um, And that was because I'd seen an ad for a job as junior writer at Bliss magazine, EMAP. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for that. It'll be great interview experience. You know, I've been doing lots of work experience uh, for free. So I have been during my degree, a lot in television, actually, at that time. But I just thought, you know, I'm going to get out into the world and and give it a shot. And I got the job. And I, I actually had fully intended to work for a very long time probably for free and I you know I was lucky that my parents lived within London so that I would be able to live Mm. free during that time as well and that is a challenge because that does close the door to so many people but I read yeah I realized very quickly actually it wasn't necessarily the world I had naively thought it was and it was a naive approach to the working world and particularly within media I think but you know I also think my story is proof that sometimes you just got to go for it and actually if we walk in thinking I'll never get in maybe we sort of hold ourselves back a bit because I certainly if I'd known then what I know now I probably wouldn't have tried to get into it and I think that would be a real shame actually so so my advice whenever anyone asks me is is just go for it at some point you've got nothing to lose at the point where you need to start paying your bills you have to make tough decisions of course but whilst I was doing my degree and I was covered through that with my student loans and things and had that fallback option of my parents being in London Maybe I wouldn't be in such a privileged position if I didn't have that, but blind ambition somewhere. I just went for it. (laughs) I always say sometimes the worst thing that someone can say to you is no. And once you get over that, 
yeah that doesn't necessarily mean that's the end does it i mean there are Absolutely. other opportunities that opens other doors you've just got to try and be a bit resilient in your i think opinion. so and i think you know I, again I, I had been taught doing this degree so this degree was really taught by lots of people who worked in fleet street there were a lot of working journalists who were still freelancing um who were teaching the course and they talked a lot about the fact you would get no would be a word you would hear a mm. lot on that journey that you were going to get a lot of rejections and this is it you know i went to that job interview i didn't actually think i would get it i thought it would just be an amazing experience to go in and see this world to meet some people maybe they'd remember me for an internship or you know i just thought the more experience i can get the more i immerse myself i'll be braced for it so when the call came through i was fully expecting the the poker face of like that's okay thank you for the opportunity <laughs> and actually so i was i was truly surprised and delighted when i got it and i think you know i've gone for jobs and i haven't got them along the journey and probably that was the right decision i can look back and see that now that maybe i wasn't equipped but yeah what is the worst thing that you can happen you say no you do it with grace you meet some people you broaden your world you broaden mm. your experience there's yeah. a huge amount that you can take from an experience that doesn't go the way you want it to go one thing in particular that I wanted to ask you, because when I've listened to other interviews that you've given, you always talk quite like nonchalantly about the hours that you work because you do work <laughs> really hard. The thing is, I thought I worked stupid hours, but when I hear you talk about it, it just seems that your uh, work ethic is incredible. And I don't know whether your approach to that, well, I would assume it has, has obviously changed because when it came to launching Stylist, which we can get onto, obviously there's a lot more yeah. kind of consolidated effort in that. But have yeah. you always been like that? Have you always been incredibly hardworking and committed and dedicated? Yeah, I definitely have. And actually, it's funny because you're saying it and I'm like, oh, thanks. And I know it's not. <laughs> I know it's not a healthy outlook, actually. There's another side of me that actually I think particularly through today's lens where you go, well, maybe we shouldn't be working quite those mm -hmm. long hours. But it, yeah, it's always been a big part of me. And I felt very, I think because I felt lucky and I felt I really wanted to prove my worth, I was prepared to put in the hours. And I think... Journalism often isn't office hours. You know, there are lots of things that happen in the evenings, lots of very short-term deadlines where things have to be turned around quite quickly. And that, that was the mentality of which I walked into the industry. But when I did my A-levels, I was working in the evenings around that to sort of pay my way. And when I was doing my degree, I had Saturday jobs and evening jobs and things. So I guess that mentality has always been somewhere in me, really, about working hard and paying your way and earning your way mm. and all those experiences that go alongside that. But yeah, I have worked some really extraordinarily long hours <laughs> over the years. And I think, you know, we, we didn't, when I started out talking about a work life wasn't really a thing. There was an expectation actually about putting in the hours and at a time when I had a bit more flexibility in my life, pre-kids particularly, I was really happy to do that. I loved my job so much. I just wanted to get as far as I could as quickly as I could. And that was part of the journey for me. But yeah, I can remember at Smash Hits, we were doing a relaunch and leaving the house at 3 a.m., uh, leaving the office at 3 a.m. to get home and then coming in again at 7 a.m. So, wow. I mean, I'm not sure that's, that probably shows a bit of mismanagement of the project somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's healthy. I know, it's definitely <laughs> not healthy. I went on, I do remember going on holiday after that and being very relieved. But I feel like there've been moments 
which are born out of relaunch or launching stylists, as you mentioned, that have needed that little extra push. And one of my colleagues always says, you have so much energy. I don't know how you keep going. But I think it's one of those things, the adrenaline keeps me going and then I'll, mm. I'll need a break at the end of it. It does wear off. I'm, I'm not a Duracell bunny. Stylist is now over 10 years old and lots, obviously yeah. that kind of time frame, lots of things culturally have come and gone. Yes. Activism has, you know, pretty much every societal movement has yep. become the norm. And for you personally, an awful lot must have changed yep. this past decade and yep. beyond. Did you ever imagine... I mean, obviously, this is great that you're still up and running, but did you ever imagine that this would be the case and that it would be so well received? Um, I guess I hope. I guess I hoped and I believed it had the right ingredients too. But we did launch in a recession, so there was a little bit of tide winds against us. And did I think? I don't know if I fully thought that far ahead. Actually, I mean, I just really was thinking in the short term, the next two to three years. I really believed this. Um, I can feel the appetite is there and I can feel there is a change in what women want and the behaviours of women at the time. So I certainly believed in it in the short term, but I don't think I ever could have predicted how far we've come, like how the brand has changed during that time, how the media industry has changed and certainly all of the movements that you talk about and behaviours of women and, and the experience of being a woman has changed so much as well. Mm. So absolutely could never have predicted some of those things i mean i've talked about this a bit but when we launched stylist we did talk about being a feminist title and people were very very anxious about that you know the word feminism still wasn't fully re-embraced culturally it was a couple of years before catlin moran had her first big book out there were a lot of things that still hadn't happened and for me it was just the standard if I was going to create a magazine for women then these would be women who would expect equality Mm. as a norm but actually when I'm saying it out loud and talking to the industry and talking to the market people physically finched at the word feminism which it just seems remarkable to look back at such recent history and realize that but actually yeah in terms of activism was still quite low-key People's ambitions were often still quite financially motivated at the time. And I think that has changed in a big way. It was really the time of the entrepreneur, I think. When I look Mm. back 10 years ago, lots of people starting businesses, huge rise of female entrepreneurs, you know, still not found equality in in that sense. But actually, there was a big boom around that time. But yeah, I mean, there is so much that's changed for our audience as well as for us as a brand. It's, you know, and for me, you mentioned for me, I mean, I've had three kids and moved a million times and, (laughs) you know, so my life looks very different to how it did 10 years ago. So it's just been the most incredible journey. How did the role come about? What position were you in previously and did you Mm. take a lot of time to think about it? Uh, it took about one minute to think about it. Oh, really? Because I'm so excited by the prospect <laughs> of launching this title. But I was actually working at Bauer at a magazine called More. I'd worked between EMAP and Bauer for a long time. I'd been given lots of brilliant opportunities, edited a few of their magazines. But there was a title called Shortlist, which had been launched, which was the male equivalent of Stylist. And that had been around for about a year. And I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I loved the ethos behind it. Loved that it was distributed for free. I just thought it was a genuinely great quality publication. And I'd always thought, oh, if it was a women's one, I'd love to be part of it. And luckily enough, I got a call from Phil Hilton, 
what must it be about 11 and a half years ago were saying we're thinking about launching a women's title would you be interested in applying for the role and I literally screamed with delight (laughs) because I believed in what they'd done but also I could see that it was the time was right for a new type of magazine for women and just to be part of that journey was just such an amazing opportunity so as I say, it was sort of a time of recession um, and I was in a secure job. So I guess it was risky in that respect. But I just, again, I believed in it so much that I just thought I have to do it. I've got nothing to lose at this point. I've got to try and see what we can make with Stylist. And and that's where the journey began. But it was an interview process. I applied for it and uh, very happily got the job. So some of your standout covers, you've covered Nigella in Caramel Sauce, I think. Um, we did, yes. Je- Jessica yeah. Ennis-Hill in Paint. Powder you've, Paint, yeah. Powder Paint, yeah. You've turned Claudia Winkleman into a cartoon. It is for women who, like you said earlier, they are career-focused, they have an interest in politics, they're interested mm-hmm. in international affairs, but also they do want a side helping of fashion and beauty and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. So across all of the work that you've done, I mean, including when I mean, you had the Clintons guest edit, which must yeah. have been yeah. cra- crazy. Yeah. But is, is there any one thing in particular across all the varied work that Stylist has done that you yourself are particularly proud of? Uh, it is very hard to choose actually because it, as you mentioned we cover a broad spectrum of content and I love how you summarise that actually because it really is the ethos of stylists which that as women stylists should be like our conversations so we'll talk about politics we'll talk about our careers we might mention our relationships or what we're wearing to a, an event at the weekend but actually ultimately we are multifaceted and we talk about the big topics and the small small things in life in unison and they you know they're important and they make us who we are so I love that thank you (laughs) um but um in terms of highlights I mean it has to be working with Hillary Clinton on the guest edit what was that Um, like what was that like it was incredible and terrifying all at the same time as you would imagine. Yeah. I actually was lucky enough to interview her a few years before. So I had met her before and that was more of a traditional interview setup. I, she was promoting her one of her autobiographies and I interviewed her in Claridge's and I always cited that as the most nerve-wracking and amazing experience of my career until she agreed to do a guest edit and I just thought this is a whole other level of like did she take take much persuasion how did that conversation go (laughs) how do you ask we had created a good relationship with Hillary and her team because of the interviews that were done before so I'd interviewed her and a colleague of mine had as well and you know they've been really delighted with how we had covered that so actually when we approached them there was a relationship there but obviously it was a time commitment that was really the challenge because a guest edit is so much more than an hour in a hotel room having a chat and actually we needed to start getting email ideas from them and we needed to feedback so there was quite a long process actually in terms of creating the issue because we wanted it to be there so there was no point us sort of fudging it and just sort of taking a photo of them pretending to do it we really wanted their interpretation of what a magazine for women would be and it was with um Chelsea as well so in the end it was very very quick turnaround though because of course we'd asked for all this time and then I'd say probably about 24 hours before the time became available they said yes so I found myself on a flight to New York with my colleagues Tom and Helen 
literally like going through all their ideas in the airport, sitting on the plane, swatting up on some of the topics that they'd talked about because we were then going to have an editorial meeting with them to talk through the ideas, the writers that might want to do and we wanted to do some work and I was flat planning over breakfast to take their flat plan back to them. So it was all very quick, but all incredibly exciting. And then, yeah, and then we spent the day with them as they sort of talked through all of their ideas. And some of them I'd sort of repackaged and pitched back to them <laughs> and they didn't like everything. So again, right, yeah. it was about, you know, trying to find the right ideas for them. And then actually, once that was done and we, we'd taken our photos and they'd spoken to us on that day, they then looked at all the pages afterwards, they fed back on things. So it was a, it was a long process. Thanks to digital media, as we're all discovering in lockdown, you can do these things quite yeah. easily now, actually. But yeah, it was a whirlwind in that first kind of 48 hours as we jetted over there. I mean, it's how you imagine life in magazines might be, but it so rarely happens like that. <laughs> it was a highlight. So Woman of the Future is all about being collaborative and kind to each other. Yeah. Is there a person in your life or your career trajectory that stands out for you as having helped you along the way or just been a bit of a guiding light or someone you admire? Oh, so many people. I mean, so many people, actually. And I think it's a funny misconception about magazine media, but also women's mm. magazine media, that it's a bit of a, you know, all the stereotypes, Devil Wears Prada type stereotypes, mm. about it being cutthroat or very anti-female environment have never been true for me actually I've found it incredibly collaborative incredibly supportive I've met some brilliant people on the journey and I think it's one of those misconceptions I'd love to hopefully will erode naturally but I would love to help go away quickly because actually it's just never been my experience and actually it's just been an absolute joy working with so many brilliant women over the years but I will add a few men into my list as well because I've just been given some great opportunities and some great advice along the way. And I think one of the first people I often reference was an editor I had called Sarah Kramer. Uh, a title as New Woman, I was the entertainment director there. And we only worked together a short time. But again, you talk about kindness. She was the absolute epitome of this very gentle, calm character, but with amazing advice and amazing work ethic brilliant ideas she was an absolute inspiration to work with and I learned in that short space of time I learned a lot from her about how to be a good leader and she was my last editor before I became an editor and I remember I was having chats and her giving me just some fantastic advice and so I really cite her even though actually our time together was pretty brief but during my time at Stylist I worked with Mike Sutar and Phil Hilton and championed me trusted me allowed me to turn stylist into the brand that it is now and I think Phil particularly is a brilliant feminist and he really believed in that vision as well and I think sometimes it's easy to forget that actually there are brilliant allies around us but so many people who've actually been such a support and often we talk about our managers but they are people I work with on a day-to-day -day basis now I work with some of the best people in business and I'm very grateful for that. I have some quick fire questions for you. Yeah. What would you describe as your greatest success? Greatest success? Launching Stylist, probably. I think especially being able to look at it 10 years on and see what we created. But I remember someone saying to me when we launched Stylist, this is not a quick answer. Sorry, I've realised it's No, no, no it's fine. No, go but... for it. <laughs> <laughs> someone saying to me, when I said that we would never 
run negative paparazzi images on the cover of Stylist. I remember saying that and someone saying to me, we'll see how long that lasts. And it gives me such pleasure now to Ooh, say, interesting, yeah. Over a day. <laughs> yeah good but actually, again, seeing that journey that we came on, being able to change the trends in the market and how brands talk to women, I will always be incredibly proud of that. And your greatest failure? Greatest failure. Um, greatest failure. It's funny, actually, because I, I have a series of failures, but it's hard to pinpoint one as the greatest. I mean, I can remember dreadful, dreadful interviews for jobs. There's one particular that stands out. And I learned the most from that because, oh, I just, I just absolutely over-delivered. I bombarded these people with reams and reams of ideas. Didn't edit myself at all, and I was trying to be an editor. <laughs> Talked for hours. I can't believe they let me talk for so long. And at every single bit of it, I just think, oh, that was just the worst, most horrific <laughs> experience. I never made those mistakes again, though. I learned so much from that experience. So I, I have, feel like I have a lot of those moments where I look back and you sort of seem so big at the time hmm. I've had interviews with celebrities where I haven't recorded them and they were important people that I should have captured and I've had to try and rescue the interview afterwards so many series of mistakes along the way that I learned from all the time I've worked on titles that were really struggling and they were very tough and they would have felt like failures at the time but again I, I don't look back and see it that way now actually I just think I'm able to look back and see what I took from each of those moments. Yeah, try and be constructive about it. I think so, because actually, I mean, we all know what it's like to play these things over and over in your head. And actually, you know, I'm cringing as I tell you about that interview. It's not that I don't feel some of those feelings retrospectively. But I think that's one of the bits that I definitely feel as I've matured and got more experience that I can look back on and go, actually, we beat ourselves up about so much. Actually, we have to take some of the positives from them don't be so hard on yourself I really think so we are, are I mean we are awful to ourselves you would never treat your friends or the people you love in the way that you treat yourself you would never speak to yourself uh, speak to them in the way that you speak to yourself and I think you know we have got to start being better at that women are very very hard on themselves and unfairly so the mantra of women of the future, as we said, is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? I mean, I, I have always talked about the importance of kindness in work, actually. And I, again, it talks to a lot of those myths about media. And for me, the advice I would always give is be kind. You don't mm. know when you will meet those people again. There's no need to make someone feel awful in any situation. We can handle our way positively, even in the most challenging times. Uh, I am the most grateful to people who have been kind to me and I would like to reciprocate that. So for me, that's one of the most essential attributes of anyone I want to work with actually, mm. is that kindness as a base level. And we hear that more now. It's interesting, you guys have always done it, but obviously over the last year, we've heard a lot about the importance of kindness. And I do think a lot of collective ethos is changing around the importance of that in our day-to-day -day interactions. But of course, that needs to happen more. So for me, that's the base level of being a decent human, kindness. And then collaboration. Wow. I mean, I, I think I've learned so much about this. Working in the industry that I do, it's incredibly collaborative. Our creative meetings are all as teams. We are very dependent on the people around us to produce a magazine or an event. 
have to work collectively. And I always believe an idea is better with more than one person's brain on it. I've never sat and gone, Eureka, I've got it. I've got the best <laughs> idea in the world. It takes people to come together and build it and expand on it and move it on. But I think one of the big learnings for me along the way is about listening more. And it is about taking in other people's experiences I mean, as you can hear, I get very enthusiastic and carried away and I have to temper myself sometimes <laughs> and pull back a little bit because actually that's when really a lot of the real insights and gems can come out in those moments. So more and more I'm interested in how to collaborate with more people in different ways. And I think that's true in our home lives as well. Becoming a parent, I think that's true. You can't do that on your own. You need oh, your own yeah. around you. And I love that community. You know, we all do so much for each other. And again, I think it plays to that spirit of community that is just just so essential actually for our mental well-being as well as for our happiness and success. Is there anything that scares you? Is there anything that scares me? God, loads of things that scare me. <laughs> I mean it's a scary time, isn't it? We are living in a really unpredictable time. How have you found it? How have you and your family found the pandemic? Um, well, we've been very lucky, you know, and I say this a lot. Touch all the wood, but our family are well and our friends are well. And it's been an incredibly tough time for so many people. And I feel like we've been very lucky within that. Having said that, we've been challenged in different ways, you know, juggling careers and family and five of us tripping over each other in a house for, what, four months now isn't as easy as you would like to say it is. It is challenging. And I, you know, I am very overwhelmed by how quickly life has changed and how disruptive that's been to our world and the liberties we take for granted that are taken away from us. So I've, I find that, you know, a very overwhelming thought and position that we find ourselves in. And yet the day to day is fine. It all kind of carries <laughs> on and we're adaptable and we get on with it and we make it work. And I, I think it'll be interesting when we look back on this period about how much we coped with, how much change we were able to digest in such a short space of time. I'm more concerned by things that are happening politically, globally, about the regression of rights in so many places. That scares me so much. It scares me for people now. It scares me for my children's future, climate, etc. All of the bigger issues are the things that tend to really trouble me. And mm. for me, that's then thinking about, well, what is the role I can take or that we can take collectively as a brand, as stylist, to be able to help with some of those issues and support mm. and be an ally. I think they're all really critical questions and I can see that reflected in my audience. I can see them going through the same thought processes and fears at the moment as well. Yeah. What's left on your to-do list? What's left on my to-do list? Did I see you just got a, a puppy? Have you just got a puppy? I just got a puppy. <laughs> you crazy. That's like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Kids, puppy, pandemic, let's go, let's go. Oh, no. I, I did see that correctly and I, did, I said to my mum, I was like, what is it in me, mum, that needs, makes me need to surround myself in small, needy things? It's <laughs> things that need my attention. <laughs> I love being busy, as you can probably tell. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I'm starting to realise that probably I have uh, taken on a little bit too much as she nips away at me. Um, I do like the busyness of a busy house, actually. I really like that. And 
I'm very sociable and I like to be uh, surrounded by people, but yeah, I probably should stop taking things on like that. What's it? There's always something next, isn't there? This is a really interesting time, I guess, for businesses and charities and all of us thinking about, well, actually the world is changing a lot. How do I adapt to that? Personal goals within that. I've been able to fulfill so much through Stylist, I feel very lucky, but there's always something new. That's what's exciting. There's always another way to look at the world. To work in a creative industry as well, to have ideas and to make those come into fruition. It's, yeah, it's very exciting for me. We're working on new projects for Stylist at the moment. So more to um, unfold there as the year sort of plays out. But yeah, maybe a bit of a break. That's what I would like. That's sounds like it sounds like you need a holiday. I know. I don't. Well, I'm going nowhere clearly. But um, <laughs> <laughs> just lying still in a quiet room will be fine. Lisa, it's been brilliant speaking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your oh. very hectic schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.